0: Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the second half of the Gospel of Mark, entitled Come Die With Me. So the title of the series of sermons that we're doing at the moment on the later chapters of Mark's Gospel is Come Die With Me. What an invitation. Come die with me. We know that at this point, the disciples have been told the truth. They know the truth, that Jesus is the Messiah. So now Jesus concentrates on teaching them what they need to know to prepare them for what is to come. And whilst Jesus' early teaching has been done through example, as he healed the sick, as he delivered people from the demonic, as he spoke in parables and demonstrated his power, now the time has come for direct teaching. And to do that, Jesus needs them to focus on him and on what he is telling them. And so we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, that Jesus takes them off, away from the crowds, where no one could disturb them, because he was teaching. He needed to have that small group to himself. When I first came back into teaching here in Abergavenny, um, I went to do some supply work in a school here that was open plan. I'd never taught in an open plan classroom before, and it was a nightmare. We had three classes of infants, all in one big space, and I just could not get the children to focus on what we were supposed to be doing because there was stuff going on everywhere. And the only blessing was that we had a small octagonal room with carpet on the floor called a kiva where you could take your class in to have story or something like that. I have to say my class was in the kiva for most of the time. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's taking his disciples away from the distractions, from the crowds, because he needs them to focus and to listen. And in this simple verse, verse 30, there is the first important message for us in this reading for our Christian lives. You know, we're very easily distracted. We live in a world that is full of distractions there are so many things going on that take our eyes off the ball, so to speak. And it's essential for our spiritual health. It's essential in our walk with God that we spend time with the teacher, that we spend quality time, focused time, with no distractions, so that we can hear his voice through the scriptures and we can speak to him in prayer. Matthew chapter 6 says, go into your room and close the door. And that's what we need to do sometimes. We need to go in and shut the door, switch off the phone, and concentrate on him. So as Jesus began to teach his disciples, really teach them, he needed them to concentrate, to understand what was going to happen. He needed to explain to to them that his messiahship was not going to be what they imagined messiahship to be. Their view, their idea of messiah was of that mighty conqueror who was going to come and take back the nation from the Romans. It was of a kingly ruler who would restore Israel. But Jesus was talking about denying themselves, taking up their cross. He was talking about suffering and rejection and death. And that wasn't at all the idea of kingly glory that they had in mind. And quite plainly, Jesus tells them the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and in three days he will rise again. But verse 32 says that they did not understand what he meant. And this reading shows us that the disciples still hadn't got it. How could they? They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen the supernatural things that happened around him. They'd seen Jesus rebuke storms, raise the dead, drive out demons, feed huge crowds from nothing, as well as heal the sick. And they'd even been out healing and driving out demons themselves. They were the business. They had heard Jesus getting the better of the Pharisees. What could possibly go wrong for this amazing man who could do such things? And sadly, though they didn't understand, they didn't ask Jesus to explain. Why not? Did they not believe him? Were they afraid of appearing stupid? None of us like appearing stupid. I've had a very stupid incident this weekend. We don't like it when we do something silly. Did they find it difficult to ask for help? We're very self-sufficient. We don't like relying on other people. And they didn't ask. Or did they just blank off this information because it was so different from their expectations? Were their minds closed to receive that information? So that despite Jesus being there with them, they didn't question him. You know, as we go deeper into God's word... We often find things that we don't get, things that we find hard to accept, things that if we really think about them and meditate on them are pretty mind-blowing. Some of you will remember the lady that I spoke about last time who didn't understand the teachings of the Holy Spirit. It scared her and although she did ask questions, the answers didn't satisfy her because it required a step of faith that she wasn't prepared to take. But how wonderful that although we don't have the physical presence of Jesus to ask, we have the Holy Spirit to teach us. And for that lady, having gone away and prayed, Lord, I just don't understand this, I don't get it, you're going to have to show me yourself. The Holy Spirit graciously and gently gave her a wonderful experience of his presence that took away her fear and led her to take that step of faith. When we don't understand, there should be someone in the church that we can ask for help. But more than that, we have the Holy Spirit for that purpose, to teach us and to reveal the truth. There are plenty of examples in the scriptures of mighty men of God crying out to God and saying, Why is this happening? I don't understand what's going on. And we can do the same. So second important point for us in this reading is if there is something we don't understand, we can ask the Holy Spirit to show us, to reveal to us, to open up the scriptures. And then we come to verses 33 and 34 about these disciples arguing on the way to Capernaum. I would have loved to have been there to have heard this conversation. What were they arguing about? Who was the greatest? We can imagine, can't we, that conversation. Peter, well, I knew he was the Messiah. He took me up the mountain to see Elijah and Moses. That was awesome. That makes me most important. James, ah, but Jesus rebuked you, and he took John and me as well, not just you and John. I'm his best friend. He always lets me sit next to him. I'm the one he loves the most. And so it probably went on with the disciples scoring points off each other as to who was the favorite and who was the most important. Who was going to be able to lord it over the others when Jesus was declared Messiah and came to rule? Later in Mark's gospel, we hear of James and John actually asking Jesus for position and power, asking him if they could sit at the right and left hand side of his throne They clearly had no understanding of what Jesus was trying to teach them. And in Matthew's Gospel, we see that James and John actually had a very pushy mother. And it's their mother who asked Jesus to promote her sons to high positions. We all want our children to do well. And clearly, she had ambitions for her boys. And Jesus knew. He knew their hearts. And how sad he must have felt that despite all his teaching, all his example, they still hadn't understood what was important. And Jesus sits them down and says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I had a wonderful Sunday school superintendent when I was little. His name was Mr. Bert Frampton. And at every Sunday school party... We would have games in the big hall while the tea was being laid out in the small hall. And when it was time for tea, he would blow his whistle. And we all had to line up, jostling and pushing to get at the front of the queue. And without fail, he would get us all quiet. And then he would declare, Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then he would make us all about turn. And the ones at the back of the queue got to go into tea first. And of course, as we got a bit older, we were wise to that, and we used to make sure we were at the back. But I've never forgotten that verse. Following Jesus is not about lording it over others. It's not about our own power and authority. It's not about rank and position. It's about serving. So the third point for us to take away from this reading is that just like the disciples, we sometimes don't get that church isn't about us. We are not the important ones. Church is not about our power, our influence, our needs, our likes and dislikes. Church, in inverted commas, is not about the church. It's about Jesus It's about God Almighty. It's about his wonderful love for us. It's about his mercy and his grace in sending Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about worship. And it's about service. It's not about us. It's not about doing things our way or the way it's always been done. It's about God's way. Jesus is saying here, as he said earlier, we have to be prepared to give up what is important to us in order to serve him in his kingdom. So what does this say about hierarchy and position in the church? That kind of power, that kind of authority, is not what Jesus is about. Jesus has a servant heart, and he wants his followers to have servant hearts too. Daphne Godwin speaking at... Falder Brennan, about serving our local neighbourhood through local houses of prayer, warned us that following Jesus is costly. Opportunities to serve our neighbours and those those who God puts on our radar come more often than not at times when it's most inconvenient, most difficult for us to do, and we have to weigh up. What is more important, doing God's work? Or doing what I've planned to do. One of the ladies who runs a local Houses of Prayer network told the story of how she had been praying blessings on her next door neighbor for many months without having any significant meetings with her. And very often we find, as we do local Houses of Prayer, that God gives us opportunities for meetings, for conversations. And she was praying and praying for this lady next door and never seemed to bump into her. And then one evening, when she had an important function to go to where she was needed to be there, that was the evening when, going out of her house, there was her neighbor in distress. What should she do? Could she be late for her meeting? Could she let down people that she promised to be with? Or could she stop? And she chose to stop. And in stopping and meeting and having a conversation with that lady, being able to pray for her, she was able to strike up a friendship and a a relationship that began to lead that lady to the Lord. We have choices. And sometimes we have to step aside from our things to get on with the God things. Richard Taylor, one of the pastors at Victory Church Combran, was speaking and telling of how he was asked to speak in a, a big meeting, a big convention in Sussex. And he went with his associate, and he was picked up from his hotel and taken to this large venue. And outside the venue was a great queue of people, about 200 people in the queue, who weren't able to get in to the meeting. The meeting held about 800 people, and they tried to hustle him in the back door, and he said, no, I, I'm going to pray for these people because they've come for prayer, they've come for help, and I need to stop and pray with them. And that kind of annoyed the organizers because they, they wanted to get him in and get things going, but he stopped to pray. And then he went into the venue, and the worship was in full flow, and everything was, was kicking off, and he suddenly felt God saying to him, Richard, I want you to go home. I want you to go back to the hotel. And you know, I can't imagine what his conversation with God must have been like. What? Go back to the hotel. There's all, this is full of people. They're all waiting for me to speak. I've got a message to give. What do you mean go back to the hotel? Richard, they haven't come for me. They've come to hear you. Go back to the hotel. And you know, what a quandary to be put in that position, and he had to say to the organizers, I'm sorry, but God's told me that I have to go back to the hotel. And he went, and they came to the hotel and begged him to come back because it was so embarrassing, this place full of people and no speaker. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't. But God has said, if you will have the venue for tomorrow and people will come back, God will meet with them then. Well, they hadn't got the venue for the next night. They'd spent a lot of money hiring it for this night, but somehow they managed to get the venue for the second night. And the second night, Richard went, and God was there. And amazing things happened. Only about 400 people turned up that night, because, of course, not everyone could be there. But that night, the people who were there had gone back because they were hungry for God. They hadn't gone to see a whiz preacher They hadn't gone for the the worship. They wanted to meet with God, and that night God met with them. But sometimes these are the, the embarrassing choices that we have to make when God puts something on our hearts to do. Serving God is not for our glory. It's for his glory. Coming to church is not for our pleasure, although often that is a byproduct of being here. It is often a joy. To be in church, coming to church, is about giving God the glory. It's about accepting others. For example, the little child that Jesus took in his arms. In Jesus' time, children didn't rule the roost. They were seen and certainly not heard. And they weren't given that honoured and cherished uh, position that children here in the West enjoy. So to promote a little child as would promoting a woman, was quite shocking in that society. And yet here was Jesus welcoming a little child into their midst. Serving God, being a disciple of Jesus, is about receiving, caring for, and coming alongside those whom society would normally not honour. And as we serve and come alongside those that society looks down on, so, says Jesus, you do it for me. And that kind of serving often doesn't come easily to us. It's hard. It's costly. So what can we take away from this reading in Mark this morning? Firstly, we have to get away with Jesus. We must have regular times with our Bibles and in prayer and worship to learn and to be strengthened Just as Jesus used to go away to a quiet place to speak to his Father, so do we need to go to that quiet place and spend time with him. Secondly, we mustn't be afraid to ask when there's something we don't understand. We can ask our friends and our colleagues at church, but above all, we should ask the Holy Spirit to show us and to reveal to us and make it plain. And thirdly, Following Jesus is not about power, it's not about prestige, it's not about being holier than thou, it's about servanthood. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's about listening to him, being led by him, and it's about serving him by serving in the world. It's about acceptance, it's about inclusion. It's about welcoming in the name of Jesus, maybe those who we would not normally include in our circle. These disciples would go on to be apostles. But the word apostle doesn't mean a leader, as some sections of the church seem to think. An apostle was a sent one, someone who was sent on an errand. The servant, actually, who was the most expendable who would be sent on the most dangerous of errands for his master, because it might be that he would be attacked and be killed on the way. And so they sent the servant, who was the one that they could most do without, the apostle. And yet we think of an apostle as a great man of God who was arranging everything and doing everything. No, apostle is sent one, one who is sent to do a job come die with me then, takes on a different light when looked at in that context. And I'll finish with, with this thought. How much of our position, how much of our prestige are we able to give up in order to serve the Lord Jesus? There was a piece in the month, um, earlier in this month in Every Day with Jesus and it talked about embarrassing Jesus. And the question it asked was, is your character, your conduct, your commitment to Christ a source of joy to him or an embarrassment? Gandhi said, if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, all of India would be Christian today. So when it comes to discipleship, where do we stand? Are we willing to die to self? Are we willing to spend time with him? Are we willing to make him the centre, the focus of our lives? Are we willing to serve as he serves? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you you will reveal to us what we need to do to serve you better. Help us to focus not on ourselves, but on you. Let us not be distracted, but instead may we turn aside to spend time with you. Help us to die to self, to be willing to turn aside from the world's praise, looking only at what you would have us do. Give us welcoming, open and loving hearts to include everyone that you send to us. In Jesus' name, amen.